You also said you would pick Nick Saban 10 out of 10 times over Kirby Smart. So what changed here, Tyler? All right, we're back. Welcome, everyone, to the Mainline Podcast on this blistering hot and humid Tuesday. I'm your host, Tyler Burton, and I'm proud to be joined alongside Mr. Adam Jacquez and Corbin Polson. Guys, we have made it. College football is back. Week zero is here. And, boy, is it a good time to be a sports fan. Corbin, Adam, how are we doing, guys? Man, week zero, it feels like fool's gold in some ways, but I'm still pumped. I'm going to watch some you know, San Jose State and some UTEP football because I'm a junkie and I need a fix. Yeah, uh, it's like having one bite of dessert and then told, you know, you need to stop uh, when it's really, really good. That's how I feel about week zero, right? We're getting a little taste uh, of what's to come. But guys, football's football, and I will be watching my TV at 11 o'clock in the morning my time on Saturday. You can guarantee that. So I'm pumped. I took full advantage of this past weekend, getting some last minute things done. This past Saturday was the last Saturday without college football until all the way to the month of January. So it's here. It's exciting, and uh, even though it is week zero, there's only five games. I'm not sure if I've ever watched or heard of two or three of these teams that are playing Saturday, but I'm going to be tuned in, uh, and as long as uh, there's football on the TV, it's going to be a lot of fun. So, guys, we've got a jam-packed episode to get to tonight, a lot of predictions, a lot of updates uh, in the world of college football, starting here at home with Oklahoma. And, guys, we've got to start this uh, – we've got to go back to this past Sunday – Over the weekend, Oklahoma picked up their sixth commitment of the 2023 class with Brandon Ennis, five-star wide receiver out of Fort Lauderdale, the number one ranked wide receiver in the 2023 class and the number four overall player according to rivals. So he chose Oklahoma over the likes of Alabama, Miami, Florida, and Ohio State. So guys, looking at Brandon Ennis, super talented kid, a lot of weapons, uh, a lot of tools in his arsenal. What are you guys' thoughts uh, him be- becoming a part of this class? Yeah, I really just want to know who is he going to go to after he decommits from us. No, 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 <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're not going to go there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a remedy necessarily for losing all the 2022 guys that we have so far. But uh, it definitely, you know, still allows us to look at Dennis Simmons and go, okay, yeah, he's still doing something. The 2023 class is looking incredible, not just a receiver, but – all across the offense. We need to start pumping that up on the defensive side of the ball, but still very exciting. Hopefully we can hang on to him. It's going to be a battle for the next couple of years to keep him on board. But I mean, what an incredible pull out of the state of Florida and just overall nationally. Yeah. And that was my first thought, right? We were feeling the very same way uh, around this time last year about the 2022 wide receiver class, and we've lost every single one of them. Uh, So don't want to get, you know, too hyped up on, uh, you know, a year and a half's away of success. Uh, but I do think this class is different in the sense that you've got a quarterback to help kind of anchor that receiver group down with Malachi Nelson out of California. Obviously, we didn't take a quarterback last year, at least any of note, um, you know, as far as the recruiting trail goes. So I think that'll certainly help. You got to like the way the whole offensive side of the ball has been started, like you were mentioning, Adam. I think defense will catch up. We're in on plenty of guys to really, I think, be um, promising, you know, on, on that side of the ball as well. But yeah, heck of a start to uh, Lincoln Riley and company, and hopefully these guys stick around for long haul. 
Yeah, Brandon Innes, uh, he becomes the second five-star wide receiver in this class, joining Makai Lemon. Um, from everything that we've heard, um, OU's in a really good position with the other five-star wide receivers like DeAndre Moore and Jalen Hale out of Longview, Texas. So sounds to me like the wide receiver position, much like 2022, it could be wrapped up early, uh, earlier than usual. So now just kind of uh, have to hang on to him and, you know, and uh, see if we can get him to sign on the dotted line once signing day gets here. But that's one positive. There is some negative news that came out earlier today. Breaking news earlier, as Sooner Scoop reported that redshirt sophomore Marcus Major, the running back, he will not be eligible to play this season due to academic issues. So, guys, the running back room takes yet another hit. And even though Major wasn't uh, expected to be a guy, expected to be you know in that too deep in that rotation, how do you guys think this loss impacts Oklahoma going into the upcoming season? Man, first off, I never want to dog a kid um, for any reason whatsoever. But, like, guys, to, to be academically ineligible in this day in college athletics is really sad to do. It's really hard. I mean, you kind of have to try. But you can't help but to wonder if he was looking at the roster last year and just a little bit of lack of playing time, heading into the spring, what's the motivation. I guess I can get behind all that, but, man, that's tough. I mean, we're all familiar with the athletic program and the emphasis they put on academics and tutoring and making sure, like, these guys and girls have everything they need to succeed. Um, and so for somebody to go through that, one, it's just – it is kind of discouraging because there really had to be just a zero amount of effort put into to get to this point. Um, I don't know if it necessarily hurts the running back room, um, but it is probably the biggest guy in the running back room. So you kind of lose a little bit of that umph. I think, heading into next year where maybe you need a bigger guy to come in and take um, some of those short-yarded situations. But all in all – there hasn't been enough Marcus Major in the past two years uh, for me to be overly concerned. This is a big hit to the offense heading into the season. I went back and looked at the last four years of OU rushing statistics, taking out any quarterback rushers, just looking at who was the fourth running back on each year. And the most productive I could find was actually Marcus Major from last year when he had 187 yards, three touchdowns, and just two catches for 29 yards. So not necessarily a ton of production. In fact, Marcus Major got most of that production from the very first game against Missouri State when Pledger was out for COVID, and then the last game against Florida, which was a complete blowout. So I wonder if we – obviously, we want depth. We want you know to have as many bodies as we can, especially in the running back room. But I wonder if we've maybe overvalued how much that depth really matters – because that production has never been more than 187 yards. And Marcellia Sutton was the fourth running back for a couple of years. TJ Pledger was the fourth running back with 65 yards in, uh, I think, 2019. So I, I just really wonder if it, it's going to matter all that much, especially as we've seen Lincoln really settle into one guy about halfway through the year and really ride that one guy and not very many other options at that point. It's not a big deal. It's not a big loss unless the injury bug shows its head because, you know, we all expect Eric Gray and Kennedy Brooks to get the, you know, a huge bulk of the carries. And we've heard a lot of really good things about Trey Bradford, who now because Marcus Major is not going to be with the team, you know, his role in this offense is going to be a lot bigger than what he probably thought it was going to be whenever he transferred from LSU. But guys, this is a big loss from a depth standpoint because you lose Ramondre Stevenson in the NFL. You lose Seth McGowan. You lose Mikey Henderson. The running back room looks completely different than it did this time last year. So just how thankful are we for the transfer portal and having Eric Gray and Trey Bradford come in? And, you know, you're, you've got three scholarship running backs on the roster right now. And I think that one thing that, you know, hopefully is going to maybe alleviate some of the, you know, unnecessary depth, or, which is probably a bad way to phrase it, but 
the O-line play, I think, is going to dictate a lot of what uh, the wear and tear on these running backs. If the offensive line gets back to what we've seen in 2018, 2019, it's going to help out this running back room. It's going to, you know, take away some of the wear and attrition uh, on their legs and on their bodies. But, guys, one last question before we kind of, you know, move towards the uh, projection side of this this episode is, what's the emergency scenario right here? You know, let's, well, this is all hypothetical, knock on wood, but we did see something like this happen a few years ago where Jeremiah Hall had to be the primary running back up in Ames. If you lose Eric Gray, uh, if he gets nicked up, if you lose – Kenny Brooks, if he's not the same as what you know, you know what we saw before the opt out. If you're Lincoln Riley, what do you do? It's Dimitri, right? Dimitri Flowers, yeah. Let's say, yeah, okay, Dimitri. There you go. There you go. I saw you guys yeah. raising your eye. There you go. Man, <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if you've got an answer for it. I mean, I guess you could use a Jeremiah Hall or Braden Willis in that situation, but I don't know if that's a good fit. Um, could you lean on, you know, some of the the walk ons just to carry you through a situation like that i think it kind of depends on is this a a couple guys are out for a game or is this one of the one two guys have multiple game injuries i think that'll kind of depend on which route you probably go there but yeah there's there's zero room for error on the injury front in the running back room right now um and honestly guys as as much as we didn't like the move to have mikey henderson you know in the halfback room before he was dismissed from the team it sure be nice to have that right about now as a backup plan yeah, Brian Darby, I think, was a running back wide receiver, you know, kind of athlete type of recruit coming out of high school. So maybe he's your true emergency guy at that position. He's six foot, 200 pounds, at least listed on rivals. So he's probably a little bit bigger now that he's in college. But I, I don't know. Jeremiah Hall doesn't really strike me as the guy that you could give the ball to even 10 times a game out of the backfield. He just doesn't have that type of speed. Dimitri, I think, was a, a lot better fit for that. And even Dimitri didn't have very much success in that you know game against Iowa State. And we have to remember that was a situation where P. Ryan was hurt, Mixon was suspended, and the coaches just did not trust Abdul Adams whatsoever as a true freshman there. I, I think we'll be in a little bit better shape. Um, I think Gray and Brooks are really trusted. Bradford is at least a second-year guy in college football. I'm not super concerned about that. Maybe, if anything, you bring in some other packages with running quarterbacks, but um, I'm not super concerned there. Yeah, I was just about to say, we've seen flashes from a guy like Jaden Knowles in, in spring games again. It hasn't been, you know, you know, meaningful snaps during the regular season, but he's a guy that's flashed, a guy that uh, uh, coaches have talked a little bit about, and then you also can, can kind of factor in, does that bring in uh, certain packages throughout the game for Caleb Williams where he's able to come in, run some read option type stuff and, you know, make the defense at least account for his legs. But uh, no, it's definitely going to be something to monitor. Hopefully we don't have to worry about it and we can continue to stay healthy as the season goes on and on, uh, but definitely something to keep an eye on. Well, boys, we don't have a big 12 team playing this weekend, but it doesn't mean we can't make some picks as far as our predictions, our projections on what this conference is going to look like what the final standings are going to be once we uh, wrap up the Big 12 championship down in Arlington. So, Adam, we'll start with you on this. Um, I kind of feel like we're all going to be in agreement on who number one and who number 10 is in this conference. So um, let's just kind of alternate back and forth here. Who's your number one team, why you feel so good about it, and we'll kind of circle back around and keep going down the list. Yeah, I love that you filled out my outline for me with OU in the top spot already. <laughs> so no need to change anything there. I think, uh, like you mentioned, we're all in agreement. Oklahoma, this is the year. Got to put it together. Can't have any slip-ups, uh, no hiccups. Am I giving my, my record prediction here as well? Okay. So, yeah, I, absolutely. I, call me a homer. I'm going 13-0. I think this is the year that it comes together. It's the absolutely most balanced team 
We've talked a lot, Tyler, you said about how we have more concerns about the offense than the defense. I agree with that to some level, but I also think without a hesitation that this OU offense is going to be a top 10, if not for sure, top five offense in the country. I'm not so sure about the defense just because there's different factors there that are, you know, make it tougher to get there. But I just think we have to remind ourselves that this is a Lincoln Riley offense still. You know, a lot of things are going to be a lot easier this year. And Spencer Rattler is going to be in his second year. 13-0 is the bar to hit. I think they're going to do it. Yeah, I've got 12-1, and boys. Uh, would love to go full bandwagon and say that, you know, everything's rosy and Norman, but we just drop one every year. We pick it. Um, that's the thing is I don't really know who it is, but I don't think in the past few years we would have expected to lose to K-State twice either. So that's kind of where I'm like, even if I did pick it, it's probably not the game because we never expect it to be the game that it actually happens in. So um, I think there are definitely things on the schedule that should give you pause. This team should go 13-0, and um, but I've just – I've learned from it in the past – um, and I'm just going to be on the side of reality in my mind. I'll say 12 and one for, uh, for the Sooners. We're big fans of the office on this podcast and take a quote from Michael Scott. I am ready to get hurt again, Adam. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid just like you. I'm on my second cup of it. I've got him going 13 and 0 as well. Now, OU hasn't gone undefeated in the regular season since 2004. So there's definitely some cause for concern. They always have that slip up they always drop at least one game in during the regular season that you don't expect them to but with the defense expected to be what we think it's going to with the front seven the depth across the board at all three levels of the defense if Spencer Rattler makes that next jump and he can just even be close to the production that we got from Baker and Kyler back in 18 and 19 there's not a team on their schedule in the regular season that can stay within 10 points of this squad so I think that this year, kind of something that hasn't really been talked about, I think that coaching and the motivation factor is going to be probably one of the biggest things for this team outside of health. OU is going to be the most talented team when they step on the field against every single one of these opponents. Now, you can't have uh, you know, a, a, a lapse in energy. You can't sleepwalk into a game like we've seen against, uh, against Kansas State the last couple of years. If OU shows up ready and focused, there's not a team on here that should be able to challenge OU within 7 to 10 points. So, um expectations are at an all-time high now they got to go put it together on uh, on saturday so corbin number two for you what you got uh iowa state i am a believer in the cyclones i know adam is not um but i just think i don't know if there's anybody more prepared to take a run at oklahoma than iowa state right now i have them at 11 and 2 i have both of those losses coming to ou um one in the regular season one in the you know conference championship game but i still do think this team is very very talented um what they end up doing in the postseason that probably lands them, you know, into a, a New Year's Six Bowl. I think they'll do the same thing they did last year and win it. Uh, it's just as so many other teams in the Big Twelve have to deal with on a year-to-year basis. You can have a really good team, but at the end of the day, Oklahoma is still in your conference, um, and sometimes that just shuts the door on whatever talent you may have coming back. So I think both those games will be absolute dogfights. Um, I think both of them are with inside ten points, Tyler. Even if OU plays the best of their ability. Um, but yeah, I've got a, that's the one, two spot outside of Kansas being at 12. Those are my two confidence, um, at the highest peaks there with Oklahoma and Iowa state finishing one, two, just like last year. Yeah. So we know that I'm not a complete buyer (laughs) into Iowa state, 
And if you were to phrase this question to me of Iowa State or the field, I would take the field pretty much every time, just seeing the the history of the Big 12. And we've seen new teams in that, in that opposite give, place. Give but, 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 but I don't know who that team is. I don't trust TCU. I don't trust West Virginia, K-State. Those are Oklahoma State, Texas. I don't really trust any of those teams. I need to see it first to be able to say, hey, this is the singular team that I'm picking to overcome Iowa State. Iowa State has some really key players, some really great players, but it's still Iowa State. They don't have the depth built up that OU, Texas, maybe even Oklahoma State has. Um, and I also look back at Iowa State last year. They did get blown out at home against Louisiana. It was the first game of the year. A lot of different situations going on there. But even looking at the rest of the schedule, they only blew out two teams the entire year by more than one possession. Kansas State with a backup quarterback and Kansas. So they had a lot of luck go their way that allowed them to get such a great record that can often flip on a team. That being said, I still have Iowa state going nine and four. Um, I think they're losing at I or Iowa uh, at home. I think they're losing Oklahoma. I think they're losing at West Virginia and Morgantown. And I've got a loss in the big 12 championship game as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of in agreement with you. I'm not quite to, to four losses yet. I've got them going 10 and two in the regular season. I think they dropped the game in Norman uh, against OU. And then I think they dropped the game on the road in Morgantown against West Virginia. Um, like you said, Adam, they had four wins last year. Last year was the best season in Iowa state football history. And four of those wins that they had were by less than one possession. So, you know, a couple different plays go, go against them. Then you might have two to three more losses on that schedule, but um, this is a very favorable schedule for Matt Campbell's group this year. Other than the game, your toughest game is going to be in Norman at OU, but then your next four toughest games in the conference, uh, Oklahoma State, Texas, and TCU, and excuse me, three toughest games, and then you get Iowa in the non-conference, all four of those are going to be in Ames. So while I think that it's highly possible that you know maybe they drop one that they shouldn't against you know a Texas or an Oklahoma State, I trust in Matt Campbell. I think that with COVID last year's, its impact – the NCAA being able to grant a free year of eligibility, that helps a team like Iowa State more than anybody when you have those guys that maybe aren't quite ready to go to the NFL, but they're really good college football players. Give them another offseason, another year's worth of experience. Um, Iowa State's going to have a very good football team this year. So I've got them going 10-2 and in the regular season, and I've got them going 10-3 and after losing to OU in the Big 12 championship game. So number three, I'll start it off on this one. I'm going TCU on this one. I'm a believer in Gary Patterson this year. When Gary Patterson and the Horned Frogs have had their best teams, it's when they've had a really good defense and they've got a veteran presence at the quarterback position. So Max Duggan going into another year. We didn't think he was going to be playing football off se- or last season due to some medical issues, but he's back. He's got a full offseason. I like TCU's schedule this year. Um, non-conference doesn't really scare me at all. They get Texas in week five. Um, coming up, coming off of a game against us uh, after SMU, and they're likely five and zero going into Norman uh, once Week Six gets here. So I've got a lot of confidence in TCU. It's kind of a tough stretch at the very end of the year, and uh, at Oklahoma State, Kansas, and Iowa State, I think if they can get one of two against either OSU or Iowa State, I think that's going to put them in a really good position. And guys, what we talked about with with Oklahoma how tough it is for them having a bye week all the way uh, nine weeks into the season. TCU's bye week is week three. So they play two games against uh, Duquesne and California, get a bye, and then they're playing 10 straight games to close out the season. So I like TCU. It's going to be a grind later in the year, but I like Zach Evans. I, I like Max Duggan, um, and I trust uh, I trust Gary Patterson in a year where 
you know, expectations are maybe not as high on the Horned Frogs, and that's kind of where Gary uh, performs best. Yeah, I also have TCU coming in third at nine and three overall. I do think they come into Norman undefeated. It's I I could very well be surprised. They might be one and four. <laughs> they might be five and zero. Oh. We'll see. Um, they're just a, a little bit unknown for me, but. I think their schedule does break down really well. Four straight home games to open up and Texas Tech on the road. They have a lot of ways to get their feet wet here and um, you just get in a rhythm mm-hmm. before they get into the meat of the schedule. Um, I did, you know, it came down to the last game of the year for me there. They're playing at Iowa State uh, on November 27th. I think that will decide the second place uh, for the Big 12. Nice. So I think that could be a really fun matchup for the Big 12 to have that at the very end of the year for who gets to go to Arlington. Yeah, guys, I'll go ahead and knock out three and four here because I have them both with the same record. Uh, I'm going UT and Oklahoma State, um, both at nine and three. Um, I am a little more keen on Texas, not necessarily be back back, um, but I do think a change in scenery will, uh, at least at the head coaching position, uh, will do the Longhorns well. Um, and I think there are enough question marks about UT in general. Um, that may actually be beneficial, as weird as, weird as that sounds. Um, new coach, new quarterback, new system. I think there's enough there, especially early in the season, to keep teams on their toes a bit. Um, now, they have no room for error starting off the season uh, with Louisiana at home and then at Arkansas. So that could decide kind of their fate early on in the Big 12. If they go in and win both of those games, I think that really could elevate a team like Texas to have a pretty good regular season in the Big 12 conference. Um, and then I – Similar to what you were saying about TCU, Tyler, Oklahoma State's kind of flying under the radar right now. And I do think that um, helps a guy like Mike Gundy in these situations. When Oklahoma State has expectations, they do not perform well. And we have not heard a single thing about expectations right now about the Cowboys heading into this year. And I think that helps him in this case. I think I'm spot on with what you were saying about TCU there, just with a different team. So I really like Texas and Oklahoma State. Both to finish nine and three on the year. No real threat to enter the conference championship game, um, but still both solid seasons for those two. I've got the same two teams, but I'm going to flop them um, going up to Stillwater. I've got OSU finishing eight and four on the regular season. Um, kind of a sneaky, tough non conference schedule. Tulsa at Boise State. I think that they start the year out five and zero going into a bye week. Coming off the bye week, I think they're going to go down to Austin and. We'll kind of see what Sarkeesian's group, what that team looks like uh, about week five, week six. But I think they go on the road and, and shock Texas. Um, we'll see what Spencer Sanders, if he's able to tr- truly take that next jump and become what Cowboy fans expected him to be coming out of high school. Um, I'm not sure if that's going to happen or if we might even see a little bit of Shane Illingworth. But Spencer Sanders, if OSU wants to be as good as they potentially can be, it's going to be because of Spencer Sanders taking that next jump. So. Um, I've got OSU going eight and four. I've got them losing to Iowa State. I've got them losing to TCU and Oklahoma. Um, oh shoot, I've actually got them going nine and three. I apologize. So yeah, nine and three for OSU, and then that puts Texas for me in the five position. I've actually got Texas going seven and five this year. Now, I'm not sure. And again, their non-conference schedule. I think outside of maybe West Virginia, it's the toughest non-conference of any team in the Big Twelve. Louisiana to open things up in Austin at Arkansas. I think they lose one of those two games. I'm not sure which one it's going to be. Um, and then, obviously, Rice and Texas Tech, those are wins. And then they've got a three-game stretch to open to, to close out September in the first two weeks of October at TCU, who they're one and four against in their last five, Oklahoma and the Red River, OSU. I think that if I think that if Sark loses one of those first two games, if they go down and they lose to, T, they lose to TCU in Fort Worth, 
We all know how good OU potentially can be. I think that the tra- the train could go off the rails in Austin pretty quick if Sarkeesian and them can't get it figured out. So um, I've got Texas going seven and five to close out the regular season for them. And uh, Adam, what you got? Man? Uh, yeah, my number four would be West Virginia, and maybe it's a bit of just not playing them last year and being a little bit mysterious. But I think they do bring you know some really tough nosed football um, to the league with uh, Letty Brown at running back. And, uh, and a really solid defense. So third year of Neil Brown, I think that they're going to do really well. Seven and five overall, but uh, six and three in conference. They play some tough uh, non-conference opponents with Maryland and Virginia Tech. So I think they'll be battle-tested before they get into Big 12 play. Having some teams come to, uh, to the road here to Morgantown is always tough. But then also at the end of the year, West Virginia starts to fade a little bit from the travel as well. So... Uh, I think it's going to be a tall ask to get into that top two spots there, but I think that um, you know they'll they'll still have a solid year. Number five, as you guys talk to it, I've also got Texas there as well, eight and four overall, but only five and four in conference. I do have them going undefeated in non-conference. I could go either way of maybe they lose to Arkansas and beat TCU, you know, flip, you know, go one and one in those matchups. But uh, overall, I think eight and four, and I think the wheels do fall off pretty fast once they get into conference play and. Their fans are are back at square one, really wondering what's going on. Yeah, guys, uh, I'll be honest, I don't have a whole lot to say about six through nine, so I may just rattle them off here real quick, because to be honest, any of those teams could end up in any of these ranks, in my opinion. Uh, This was pure guess, honestly, based on just schedule toughness, to be frank. Um, I've got West Virginia, I already mentioned that, or no, I haven't, at number five, so I'm with you guys right in line there. And if, guys, if there's a team where – the schedule really does favor them in conference. It's West Virginia. I know they have to go um, on the road to Norman and then in Fort Worth for TCU, but you host Oklahoma State, you host Texas, and you host Iowa State. Those are really favorable. I know OU's had success in Morgantown. But it's a really tough place to play when that place is packed, which we know it's going to be. Um, and so I've got, uh, yeah, West Virginia at five there. I mean, guys, talk about just a mess of kind of rounding out this I've got kind of finishing up here. TCU, I'm not as big of a buyer on them as I know um, you guys are. I've got them at seven and five on the year. And then to kind of round things out, Texas Tech, Kansas State, Baylor to round out uh, the top nine. And, you know, don't know if it has to be said, but Kansas there at 10, of course. So, um, who, TCU. Who, who'd you have at 10? Who'd you have at 10? Uh, Kansas. Okay. Yeah. Just, just making sure. Yeah. In case anybody was wondering. Uh, TCU, seven and five. Tech five and seven, K State right there as well at five and seven, Baylor at four and eight. I think uh, the schedule's tough there for the Baylor Bears, um, but God, you win a couple and you just Baylor's kind of that question mark team for me. They could actually be you know in the top four there, um, and so yeah, no idea how to rank those really to a, in a spot where I feel confident about them. But that's how I'd kind of wrap up my rankings there in the Big Twelve. Yeah, I. I think the biggest discrepancy that we have here that I haven't gotten to yet is I, I have K-State six uh, at eight and four would really want to like them a little bit more, but I think Skylar um, Thompson just puts a, a ceiling on what they can do. I mean, it's all about the quarterback <laughs> position and I mean, he's great. He's a game manager. He can make some, he can have some really great games. He beat OU. I mean, he's but a- let's be honest, he's not going to, you know, be a Heisman level, you know, candidate, which is really what a team needs to make a big difference in this league. But behind them, I have Oklahoma state at, at seventh in the conference, seven and five overall four and five in the conference. And really mm. what I'm looking at here is 
just, you know, Tyler, you, you've converted me. Spencer Sanders is one of the worst quarterbacks ever known to mankind. And so uh, I it only took, yeah, I months. really can't put them above sevens, but no, like seriously, Spencer Sanders, I think is really good. He is somewhat injury prone. And I think this is his make or break year. So if he doesn't come out on fire and start, you know, really, you know, handling the meat of the conference really well, I can see him getting benched. Um, you know, he's had injuries as well, but then also they lose so many of their, their offensive playmakers and weapons. So I kind of, I've called him, you know, the Landry Jones of OSU. He was solid his freshman year and he hasn't gotten much better since. So he absolutely like it's critical. He takes a big step this year for them to, to really do anything. Adam, you said you've got OSU going seven and five. What are the five losses? Do you think if you've got the schedule pulled up there? Cause I've got them losing at Iowa state, Oklahoma to close out the year. And I think they lose at home to TCU as well. Yeah. I've got them losing to Texas, Iowa state, West Virginia, uh, TCU and OU. You're really high on Neil Brown and the Mountaineers. Uh, I have them fourth, so I guess you could say that. Well, it's kind of kind of close out my last four. We'll leave. We we won't even mention Kansas at number ten. Corbin did all that for us, but I've got West Virginia at at number six for me. Um, Very favorable schedule, like you said. They get a lot of the really good teams up in Morgantown. If there's one thing that we know about West Virginia. They may not play good football consistently throughout the year, but they always seem to sneak up and get at least one or two teams that they shouldn't beat. So um, I think that West Virginia does that this year, and I've got them actually knocking off um, Iowa State or or TCU. So Kansas State's number seven for me. I like Skylar Thompson, Deuce Vaughn. If they can keep both of those guys healthy, that's critical uh, for, for Coach Clymer up there in Manhattan. So I've got Kansas State going six and six. Um, number eight for me, and like you said, Corbin, Baylor's a toss-up. I think the Baylor could be a team that could win maybe six or seven, eight games, or they could do what I've got them expected to do, and I've got them going five and seven, um, losing seven out of their last eight. So um, what they can do on the offensive side of the football at the quarterback position, obviously losing Charlie Brewer to Utah, I'm not sure what that new staff's going to be able to do. Um, luckily for Baylor, they do kind of have a uh, pretty easy start to the schedule at Texas State, Texas Southern. Um, and then a bye week against Kansas. But um, I've got Baylor going five and seven. Texas Tech's number nine for me. I've got them going four and eight. Matt Wells gets fired after this year. And then number 10 for me, while I like the coach that they brought in, Lance Leopold, I think that there's so many problems right now in Lawrence that he's not going to be able to correct in just year one, both from an off-the-field standpoint and with the roster that he's got going right now. So the over-under set set for them at one and a half. I think I took the over in this when we did this segment a couple a couple weeks ago, but the more I look at it, I'm going under. I think they win the season opener against South Dakota, and then it's going to be a terrible year for Jayhawk fans because they're going to lose nine in a row. So uh, one and nine for, for Kansas to, to kind of close out the year. Is it even terrible anymore? Like, or is this just kind of – it is what it is. Like, does it really hurt Jayhawk fans if they've won, you know, one game? on the year. I don't think so. Uh, it's it's just so sad. I mean, it, it's sad that they're part of our conference. I mean, the Big 12 doesn't get a whole lot of respect nationally from a lot of people. I think a large part of that might be because we have the worst football program in America uh, in the Power 5 conference. So, um, I mean, God. And, and, guys, it's not even a foregone conclusion they're going to beat South Dakota. So, no. we'll see. It could it could definitely be an 0-10 season for, for Lance Leipold. yeah. Um, I think South Dakota is pretty beatable. We saw them here in Norman a couple of years ago, but 
Um, my, mine looks pretty much the same. I did have uh, Texas Tech finishing ahead of Baylor, um, but I mean, by one game difference, who knows what could happen there. Um, I know I, I dogged a little on Oklahoma State putting them seventh, so if there are any OSU fans listening, uh, OSU did finish first in a recent survey that just came out, though, on worst mascots in America. And uh, so our friend Pistol Pete, number one overall there, number, th- number three on creepiest mascots as well. So at least they got that going for them. Take it up with your new president if you have a problem. <laughs> there yep. you go. Well, guys, let's uh, let's move on, on to the next thing here, predicting the winners of the Power 5 conferences. And uh, also, guys, give the two teams that you think are going to be playing in the championship game and then also maybe give a sleeper pick who you think uh, could be a team that's flying under the radar and could sneak up and uh, you know maybe win that conference championship. So, Adam, let's start with you on this one, man. Let's go out to the ACC. I kind of feel like it's going to be chalk amongst all three of us, but uh, – what, what do you got? Yeah, I have Clemson here. It's, I mean, it's just impossible really to pick anybody else. Um, I mean, who's really going to challenge Clemson? In their own division, Wake Forest and Boston College might be the most competitive teams there, but both those teams are going on the road to face Clemson and Death Valley. Um, they do have road games against NC State and Louisville, but I mean, even if Clemson drops a game, you know, here or there, they're probably not going to drop two. And is another team really going to be able to capitalize and have a good enough conference record to surpass them in the division? Um, I I guess they could face UNC in the title game, but even though that's in Charlotte, Clemson's going to have way more fans there. They're going to be way more talented than anyone else they play in the conference throughout the entire year. So I really can't go anywhere except for Clemson here. Yeah, let's start chalking it up, guys. Clemson over USC or UNC. Um, again, that's probably at least a 14 point win by the Tigers. Uh, I'm really not concerned, even though they are replacing Trevor Lawrence, really not concerned about this Clemson team. Um, so yeah, I'm going to follow in Adam's footsteps, Clemson over North Carolina. Uh, as far as a sleeper picks concerned, I actually do have NC state as a sleeper pick. I know they are in Clemson's division in this, but NC state does host Clemson and they host North Carolina. They have a road trip, um, at Miami. And I think, Sign me up for being a big believer that Miami is completely overrated. Um, I will die on that grave. So I think that's a winnable game. NC State always sneaks up on somebody. Maybe they can put some things together and sneak up on a few teams and end up, you know, winning that out. But I'm not betting on that whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in a complete agreement with you. I've got Clemson over North Carolina in the ACC title game. Um, simple for the facts. It's it's Dabo, it's DJ. They've got ten of eleven coming back on defense. They'll be the most talented team by far against every team that they play, kind of like OU in the Big Twelve. But uh, as far as a sleeper team for me, I I had NC State written down. Corbin just kind of throw a little added flavor in. I don't feel too confident in it, but I'm going to go with Miami, and it's that relies solely on how healthy Derek King is. If he if he can be healthy, if that ACL um, if it holds up and he's back to 100 percent for the year. Um, coming off injury like that, you get to play Alabama in week one. Um, I think that that's a really important game for Miami. Not so much that they are going to go into that game expecting to win, but if they can put up a fight and it's maybe a 10 to 14 point game and Miami shows some signs of life, I think as a Hurricanes fan, that should give you some confidence about that team going into the ACC. Um, but again, if they, if they get blown out, like what we saw Alabama did to USC a few years ago, where a lot of people were given the Trojans chance uh, down in Dallas, then it could be a long year uh, for, for, uh, for Miami. And they've got a pretty, ch- pretty challenging schedule as well at North Carolina, at Florida State, Virginia Tech, 
Um, and then they also have to play Michigan State in the non-conference. So there you go, Adam. Miami, I mean, I don't know if you can consider them a sleeper team in a top 20 ranked program right now. So I, I guess if I was going with a sleeper, I'd have to go with Wake Forest. They don't have the talent that most other teams do um, just because they're such a small school. But I really like what Dave Clawson has built there, the Sam Hartman to Jaquari Robinson uh, connection, uh, you know, on the passing attack is, is pretty lethal. So, you know, maybe they could string something together. Um, but if I was going to go deep, you know, deep, deep sleeper, that's who I would go with. Hey, they got 20 starters coming back on, on defense, and that's another one like what we were talking about with Iowa State, having COVID come into play last year in the NCAA, giving all these teams and all these athletes another year of free eligibility. All these kind of middle-of-the-pack or lower-tier teams, having those guys come back for another year, more experience, I think that you could see some more competitive football from top to bottom uh, in, in all of these conferences. So, uh, Corbin, back to you on this one. Let's go out to Big Ten country. Tell me it's not chalk again for this one. No, I think we'll have some different answers here, um, but not who's winning. <laughs> it's Ohio State <laughs> winning the conference. Who they play, I think, is where we'll, we'll differ a little bit. I've actually got them beating Iowa. Um, don't ask me why. I think anybody could take that other division uh, in the Big Ten. Wisconsin could certainly come out of it. Um, but again, it does feel like anytime Wisconsin's got some expectations on the year, they don't really perform overly well. Maybe I'm mistaken there. I don't follow the Big Ten into that deep of a regard. But I'm going to say Ohio State over Iowa. My sleeper pick, maybe actually one that I'm like, okay, I could somewhat see this happening is actually Minnesota. Um, it is a crazy long shot, but if you have you have the opportunity here if you're Minnesota to start at home against I, uh, Ohio State, Ohio State's coming off of losing a, a ton of guys, including a starting quarterback. Big question mark there on the quarterback side of the ball. If you can win that game, I know right now Ohio State looks to be about a two touchdown favorite, but then you've got on the road at Colorado, on the road at Purdue, host Nebraska, host Maryland, on the road at Northwestern. Illinois at home, and then all of a sudden, okay, you got some tougher games down the stretch of at Iowa, um, at Indiana, and at Wisconsin. But guys, if you if you can go two and two between those last three games and the first game, you got a chance to get in the conference championship game. Um, so, yeah, if they can steal a couple games there, look look out for the Gophers. Yeah. So um, Michigan State is not my pick here, but uh, you know it wouldn't be a mainline <laughs> podcast if I didn't bring them up. Um, so, <laughs> uh, big 10, maybe I'm trying to be too different here, but I'm going with Wisconsin to win the conference. And the, the reason being is that Ohio state is breaking in, you know, quite a few new pieces. Um, CJ Stroud might end up being a great quarterback, but there's other pieces that they're breaking in as well. And they do have, you know, some conference games early in the year that could trip them up. Uh, even the opener against Minnesota might be might be one like your dark horse there, Corbin. So I, I'm sticking with Wisconsin. I think they have a very manageable schedule. Their toughest road game all year is at Minnesota at the end of the year. So very easy schedule. No Ohio State on there as well. They get Penn State in the opener, so they can get them early before they get rolling. And then, but really, Wisconsin has you know, a ton of returning starters on defense. They could be one of the best in all of college football. Um, they've got a very experienced offensive line, four starters coming back. Uh, Graham Mertz, everyone remembers that Illinois game where he had like 95% completion percentage. And, but then after that, he was really up and down. 
they got hit hard with COVID last year. I think that, you know, he will prove, still prove to be the best quarterback that Wisconsin has had since Russell Wilson, if not better than that by the time his career is over. So I really like what they have there. And just looking at the running backs, that's kind of their weakest position right now. When has Wisconsin been able to say that? I think that's a testament to some of these other position groups really, really getting up there. So I think they will probably still play Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. But I think that Wisconsin, this will be their year, whereas Ohio State uh, maybe uh, just a, a little bit knock or two behind them. Uh, if I'm going dark horse here, uh, I guess give me Iowa for similar reasons that Corbin said. Maybe it's Iowa that, that gets into that position instead of Wisconsin there. Adam, I couldn't have said that any better myself. I'm completely in agreement with you on all of them. I'm picking Ohio State to win just because nobody else has shown me that they can jump up and beat Ohio State consistently or or at least even in a conference championship game. So I've got them actually playing Wisconsin as well. I really like this Wisconsin team coming off of a year where they had to replace Jonathan Taylor. They had their lowest output in terms of rushing statistics uh, over, the, over the past five to six years where I think they averaged less than four yards a carry. That's completely unlike Wisconsin football. But this year, having Graham Mertz back, a veteran offensive line, all four running backs that were on this squad last year, they do return. Um, And I think that this has a chance to be one of Wisconsin's best defenses that they've had uh, since Paul Chris has has been at Wisconsin. So uh, I've got got Ohio State beating Wisconsin in the championship game. And then as far as a sleeper goes, I'm kind of in agreement with you, Corbin, Minnesota. The schedule sets up really nicely for them. P.J. Fleck. You get an opportunity to take on C.J. Stroud in his first start and what's going to be a really good home atmosphere in week one. Um, so if there's a time that you want to play the Buckeyes, it's early on before C.J. Stroud and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson can get things going. So um, I'm picking Ohio State, but watch out for Wisconsin or Minnesota. Could be a could be a fun year in the Big Ten. Guys, Big 12, I know we've already discussed it a bit. Oklahoma over Iowa State, everybody pretty solid on that one? Yeah. I mean, if I was going to go dark horse to add in there, West Virginia. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's pretty cut and dry. That's my sleeper is too, is West Virginia. If you had to take Iowa State or the field to to take on OU in the, in the Big 12 championship game, which one are you taking? Adam's oh, got the no, field. It's easy, the field. Okay. <laughs> I'm taking Iowa State. I, I, don't, I don't know. It kind of seems to me that Iowa State, did they max out what they were capable of as a team last year? I mean, when you think about it, I think OU's kind of in a tier of their own, as close and competitive as those two OU-Iowa State games were last year. I think OU's going to be on a different level this year where I really don't know how much better Iowa State's going to be. And then you look at teams like TCU, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, Adam, um, and and Texas. I mean, this is going to be an extremely competitive year in the Big 12 for, for teams two through about six. So Anything can happen, and it wouldn't surprise me if you see TCU or maybe West Virginia representing the the two seed in that I game. I will say this, too. Last year, shortened schedules, not as many games. The more games that a team plays, especially when you're not top-level tier like OU, the more chances you have to, to screw up, you know, essentially. And Iowa State will be very experienced. But again, these are two- and three-star guys that are just, you know, playing uh, well above what they were recruited at. And so – a few injuries here or there, suddenly you get some new guys in. You don't have those types of All-Americans necessarily or All-American candidates um, you know, on the front lines. It can get, it can fall off a cliff pretty quickly at a place like Iowa State, even though they are incredibly well coached. So the margin of error is very thin. 
And that takes us out to Pac-12 country where Adam is picking Buki to be the defensive player of the year in that conference. So, Adam, let's start with you. Who's going to win the, the Pac-12 championship? What are the two teams that are going to be represented? And maybe a sleeper in this one. I think we'll have some discrepancies in this one. Yes. Uh, credit to you. Buki is the obvious answer. Uh, maybe not even defensive player of the year, but just player of the year. MVP. Yeah. Heisman. Pro- probably yeah. first defensive Heisman player. Charles uh, he's Woodson. He's going to lead, lead the nation in, uh, in uh, you know penalties after the play is over. So, uh, <laughs> um, you know, this was one that, I, you know, my initial thought was Oregon and I was like, that's going to be a no brainer. Why would I pick anybody else? But the more I dug into this and maybe it was overthinking on my part, but Oregon plays a really tough schedule. They're on the road at Utah, on the road at Washington, on the road at Stanford. Um, and I'm not really a believer in their quarterback, Anthony Brown, the, the Boston College transfer. Um, I mean, when other, I know Boston College has a good quarterback now that transferred from Notre Dame um, under their new coach, but when was the last time that a Boston College quarterback really scared you? So I'm not super high on that. I think USC has a much easier schedule to get to the Pac-12 championship game. And when they get there, they probably won't even face Oregon uh, in the uh, in the in the championship game there. Uh, I think I'm it's kind of a coin flip for me here, but I guess I'll go with Washington to face off there and I'm picking USC to win it. Yeah, I've got Washington um, representing that side of the Pac-12, but for me, it's not USC, it's not Oregon. I'm actually picking Utah to win the Pac-12 this year. This is a team that's got 19 returning starters. They've got some familiar faces that we're all familiar with here in Big 12 uh, country. Charlie Brewer's going to be the starting quarterback. TJ Pledger, Theo Howard, a couple OU guys that are going to be part of that uh, that offense um, up in Utah. They get Arizona State and Oregon at home, and then their only other really tough game on that schedule is against is going to be at USC, but they get a bye week before going out to play the Trojans in Southern California. So uh, I know that that could possibly you know be considered my dark horse pick, but I'm going to go with Utah to, to kind of rise up and win the Pac-12. Let this me year. get this clear. You're putting your faith in Charlie Brewer and TJ Pledger no. to get you to a Pac-12 championship game because that's bold, my friend. No, it's it it's collective. It's about the, the the entire squad. No, I don't think Charlie Brewer is a good enough quarterback to win it on his own. Uh, but when you look at the amount of, of talent and the amount of depth, it's a veteran squad. I like what Kyle Whittingham can do as a coach. So, again, it's a sleeper. Call me crazy, but I'm going to go with Utah this year. Man, tough guys, because uh, you're right. Oregon seems to be the obvious choice out of the north, but that schedule is brutal. Um I'm probably going to follow suit here with with. I'm going to pick Washington to beat USC in the Pac-12. Um, don't love it. Not sure I have that much faith in the USC to get there. To be frank, I have a lot of faith in Washington. When you look at they host Oregon, Arizona State, and UCLA, um, you got to like that. So I think USC probably gets to the conference championship game, uh, loses to Washington. Um, and as far as my sleeper goes, honestly, Tyler, you kind of talked me into it. Um, I'm going to go with Utah as well as my sleeper. Uh, not as confident on them to win the conference championship, but I'll, I'll hop on board with them as a sleeper pick. Nice. Yeah, if I guess I, I didn't throw out a sleeper on, on my picks there, but if I was going to go that direction, I would go UCLA. Um, Dorian Thompson-Robinson might be the best player in the entire Pac-12. Um, he's just a dynamic guy um, that can really do do it all there for UCLA. If Chip Kelly's going to have a year that he gets it all together, this has to be the year for UCLA and the Bruins. So 
Um, I could see them, especially in a Pac-12 South that's pretty wide open, maybe taking advantage of that and then just get to the San Francisco and get to the Pac-12 championship game. And you're just one one win away from from winning the entire conference at that point. Adam, I think Kayvon Thibodeau at Oregon would like to have a word with you on that's that. That's true. That's so. true. Yeah, I mean, but we'll, we'll, we'll tag him in yeah. the post. So, well, let's uh, let's move over to the SEC country, um, a conference that we are part of. That's our uh, that's our brotherhood. That's our brethren. So, Corbin, starting with you, tell us why you're picking Josh Heupel in Tennessee to shock the world and seeing Rocky Top in Atlanta. Not happening, but guys, it's great to be talking about the motherland of all conferences, so I'm excited about this one. Uh, going about as chalk as chalk can get, I've got Alabama over Georgia in the SEC title game. Uh, not going to dive into a whole lot of that because I think it's pretty self-explanatory. This sounds terrible as a sleeper pick, but I actually have Texas A&M as my sleeper in the conference. I understand that they are sixth. I think that is way too high for what they lost last year, but I know they are bringing back quite a bit. Um, guys, they, they catch Bama early. And I think that's really, really important that they do that. But you just you look at their schedule, and they've got a very manageable non-conference uh, that should be some nice fine-tuning heading into SEC. I don't think Colorado and Arkansas are going to be pushovers, but I think they'll get past them just fine. You get Bama in week, what was that, seven, I think, six or seven? Six. Uh, six, okay. But then after that, guys, it's, it's Missouri, it's South Carolina, it's Auburn, it's Ole Miss – Sleep sleeper pick there as far as an upset game on the schedule, Ole Miss. Uh, and then you got, you know, Prairie View AM and at LSU, and I'm not a big buyer in LSU. So if you can beat Bama AM, the the ultimate question mark not only for them, but for everybody else in the country. If you can beat Bama, then the conference right now is in your hands. Um, can they do that? Not overly confident, but that's that's the big question mark. So here's where that I did the least amount of prep work to figure out who's going to win this conference because I just bow at the feet of Nick Saban and all logic and anything else goes out the window. I don't care if they're replacing, you know, a quarterback and a ton of production. I don't care if they have a tough schedule. I don't care if A&M is, is really good or if they're playing, you know, at, at A&M this year, I'm picking the Crimson Tide. Um, I think that Bryce Young will be rolling by the time that he gets to the end of the year. It won't matter where they're playing, who they're playing. I think they'll just roll through some people. And um, I don't, I'm not buying Georgia. Uh, I think they'll face off in the SEC championship game, but uh, I don't think Georgia, you know, has what it takes to get over the hump and uh, really prove that, you know, they can do this. I think they're, it, it's kind of a, not the same level, but it's kind of like OSU and Bedlam. You know, they just, they just can't do it when it matters. So um, give me Bama over Georgia. If I was going to go for a dark horse, it's so tough in the SEC because there's really only like four or five teams and every they're such high profile that you can't really sleep on any of them. But I guess LSU just knowing that they have quite a bit of talent and, you know, you never know when they're going to rise up and have a great year. Yeah. Um, I'm you going to talk. Georgia. You better say Georgia. So hang on <laughs> a couple months ago. I was picking Georgia to win the SEC, and let me kind of let me kind of backtrack here. I'm changing my tune a little skip, bit now. Skip. I, I've got Alabama and Georgia in the SEC championship game, and guys, I know that Alabama they're replacing a ton of talent: Mac Jones, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, all three of the five offensive linemen. I know that Sarkeesian's not there anymore, calling plays, but guys, at the end of the day, Nick Saban is still the old ball coach on that sideline, and while I do like Georgia. They've got a really good roster. They recruit better than anybody outside of Alabama. They should have a fantastic defense this year. I'm not sold 
on JT Daniels the more that I look at it, especially when you're losing George Pickens, who I don't think is going to be playing uh, maybe towards the back half of the season. And guys, Nick Saban versus Kirby Smart in a title game, I'm picking Nick Saban 10 times out of 10. So while I think Georgia's going to have a really good year, uh, there's <laughs> – Damn it, guys! The, their, their schedule, their schedule outside of Clemson is a cupcake. So while I'm not sure if they knock off Clemson week one, they should boat race everybody uh, in the East Just all the way to chicken to, uh, out when it season. when it comes time to make a prediction, Tyler. Unbelievable! Yeah. So just like OU, just like Clemson, just like Ohio State, until somebody can knock Bama off, I'm going to pick Nick Saban in the Tide. So. As far as the sleeper pick goes, I can't believe I'm going to say it, but Corbin, I'm following your lead on this. I'm going to go with Texas A&M as being the sleeper. Now, there's a couple things that scare me if I'm a Texas A&M fan. One, Haynes King, brand new brand new starting quarterback. You're going to have to replace four or five offensive linemen on this team, which in this conference alone, with the front sevens that these teams are going to trot out there against A&M week in and week out, that kind of you know spells trouble for, for A&M. But the fact of the matter is with Texas A&M, we're not going to find out how good the Aggies are until Bama comes to College Station in week six. So they start out with a pretty easy non-conference schedule. They get Arkansas. They get Mississippi State early. So if if this is if this is the year to do it, A&M, if, if you're going to knock off Alabama, you get them at home, brand-new quarterback, brand-new skill position talent across the board, uh, including three new offensive linemen. A&M does avoid Florida and Georgia from the from the east, so that, you know, that bodes well for them. But guys, Cor- Corbin, just like what you said, that November thirteenth matchup at the Grove against Ole Miss—that scares me to death. If I'm a Texas A&M fan, so that and the fact that they have to finish the year off on the road at LSU, which A&M is zero four in Baton Rouge since joining the SEC, so there's a lot of roadblocks. I know that Texas A&M is extremely talented, but if you don't get uh, you know superb play from your quarterback position, you can't run the football with Isaiah Spiller behind that offensive line. You're not knocking Alabama off, so give me give me the tide over Georgia this year. A and M hasn't beaten Alabama at home, correct? Johnny's year was on the road in Tuscaloosa, right? John, yes, 2012. And then Johnny lost at home by seven the next year, which was the best college game I've ever been to outside of the Rose Bowl. So yeah, um, I mean, I hate to pick it, right? I hate to pick A and M as a sleeper pick because they're number six, um, but I hate the fact that you didn't stick to your guns there, Tyler. Stick with Georgia. You were raining on me and Adam about this just a few weeks ago, and now you know you're backing off and you're back to the good side. Well, when you lose your best wide receiver, that's pretty critical when trying to face a, a, an Alabama defense. Let, let me have but, it. Yeah, Adam. but Go you ahead. also said you would pick Nick Saban ten out of ten times over Kirby Smart. So what changed here, <laughs> Tyler? I think by the time Georgia and Alabama meet at the very end of the year, I think Nick Saban will have that team gelled and playing really, really well. Now, Corbin, I know you're going to say, well, they were going to play at the end of the year regardless. Oh, that's what I said. So, last argument, that was my argument. I, we need to go find audio of this. I might feel differently as we get closer to the SEC championship game, but I'm not as sold. <laughs> God dang it. So, Okay, yeah, Alabama over Georgia in the SEC title game. We'll see if I change my mind. Once yeah. we get closer to December, so yeah, don't write anything down. We're erasing this podcast if uh, Georgia beats Bama. Erase the evidence. All right, let, let's 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 see. Do you have Georgia in the playoffs at least, Tyler? I do not have Georgia in the playoffs. Um, I think it's going to be chalk this year. Um, it's going to be the same for like what we've seen so many times in years past. I've got OU going to the playoffs, Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. So the seating really is 
If you're an OU fan, the seating matters tremendously. You want to get that first semifinal game in Dallas, um, having it a uh, you know a kind of a home atmosphere, and hopefully we don't end up down in the South playing a, an SEC team. So, uh, yeah, OU, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and before we give before I give my national championship pick, you guys give us give us your four as well. I don't have anything different. Adam, do you have anything different? I've got OU in this order: OU, Clemson, Bama, Wisconsin. Uh, so Oof. Wisconsin's. My- I would love yeah, that. I thought about maybe flipping in Georgia, but uh, because of those suspensions and injuries, I think they could lose to Clemson in the opener and then losing again to Bama, I think, knocks them out in the SEC title game. So uh, Wisconsin sneaks in there at the end for me, although I would love it even better if like Washington or USC or somebody like that was the four seed uh, to play OU in the in the first round. Didn't you say Wisconsin was going to have two losses? Nope. I just said they were going to win the Big Ten. We'll have to go back and check the audio because I thought I heard two losses as well. It's pretty sure that's what I heard. Might be, might be changing our tune over there, Adam. Check the tape. I'm pretty. <laughs> if we check go back, the, I'm check pretty the tape. confident. If we go back and hear that Wisconsin had two losses, you just said a two-loss Wisconsin well, team was going to make the playoff. I will stop doing this well, podcast. I edit the uh, podcast, um, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys. Okay, so I'm, I'm chalk with you. Uh, Tyler, I'm the same there. I'll go ahead and say my semifinal national champion, uh, Clemson versus Oklahoma, national championship game. I have the Clemson Tigers beating the Oklahoma Sooners for the national championship. I, I'm I'm sticking to my guns here. Call me a homer, but this is the year that it comes together for OU. We've had the best offense, uh, you know, most years of the last four or five that Lincoln's been in town, and now the defense is here to balance it out. Special teams look solid as well, so. The fact that the national championship game is in Indianapolis as well really negates any type of uh, you know home field advantage one team might have. Maybe Ohio State or Notre Dame somehow gets there. They might have a little bit of, a, of an advantage. But really, I think that just bodes well for OU's favor. Um, I believe the first round is also Cotton Bowl uh, potential as well. Mm-hmm. So just the path is yep. so easy for OU if they can really just stay out of their own way and not have a slip up. I mean, if a two-loss Wisconsin makes it in, that's a that'll be a big you know home field advantage. God, uh, can you imagine if we lost a two-loss Clemson or two-loss <laughs> Wisconsin? No, Adam, I'm 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 following your lead too, man. I mean, it it sets up too well. I mean, we've we've had this year circled for a couple seasons now. The fact that you are going to have a semifinal game in Arlington uh, to hopefully springboard you into a national championship appearance in Indianapolis. I think kind of what we're seeing from Lincoln Riley with him, you know, keeping all of his cards so close to the vest, the the program is essentially in lockdown right now as far as trying to get information out of it, as far as, you know, p- player personnel, position groups, starting lineups, different things like that. I think Lincoln knows what he has this year. And, you know, excuse my French, I think that Lincoln is going to treat this season as kind of a fuck you tour to the Big 12. So I think that this is going to be his most talented team top to bottom. The defense is going to be lights out. And like we said, if Spencer can get to that next level, they they are 10 to 14 points better than every single team on this schedule. So, But we know that. We know, oh, you can win the Big 12. But is this team the one that can get to a playoff game, win a playoff, and put themselves in a position to win a national championship? And I think this is the year they get it done. Yeah, I mean, there you go. I, I've, I've said it probably multiple times. I don't think Lincoln looks at things the way that we fans do, so I don't necessarily know that he's going to just go around just running up the score on all these teams, but I, I think he'll at least show the, as much dominance as he can uh, with this team, but I, I just think he looks at it very differently than, than we do. 
Guys, I hope you're right. I really do. Obviously, I, w- I want nothing more than for OU to win a national championship. Um, again, I've just been fooled by this team too many times. I am a natural skeptic, so it comes natural for me just to be like, just don't do it. Don't do it to yourself. Um, I do think by the time, regardless of what happens to Georgia, I do think by the time you get to the end of the season, I think Clemson will be rolling. I think that is a very, very good team, and I get they're ranked very high already, but no one's talking about Clemson right now at all. And I think that is a, a big mistake um, you know, heading into the season because Dabo will use that time and time again. We're just little old Clemson, right? So he loves using that stuff as much as we all hate it. But that team will be motivated uh, regardless of their record or anything like that. One thing to look out for, though, guys, is you could possibly have Alabama win the SEC and also be sitting there with Texas a and with one loss and Georgia with one loss. And you have to think that is a real possibility of one of those knocking somebody out, hint, hint, Pac-12, expand the playoff um, type of thing. So got to look out for, you know, two SEC teams, you know, making their way into uh, into that as well. Um, but, guys, let's let's go, go ahead, Tyler. I just can't see A&M doing it back-to-back years. Like – I know that they they hang their hat and Billy Lucci and all the other fanboys, you know, they hang their hat on what they did last year, going nine and one, having the number four ranking. But I just can't. Now, don't get me wrong. With how well they've recruited, imagine if they actually won something. How how great that recruiting would be. But I can't trust them to do it two years in a row. Not with the schedule that they have, especially towards the, the back half of the season. The schedule's not, easy. Once you get to Alabama, though, and then you've got to go to LSU, you've got to go to Ole Miss to kind of close the year out. I just and again, it's kind of premature because we don't know what we've got in Haynes King. But you know, the last true freshman that was able to, to compete and compete at a high level for Texas A&M was the best player in school history. So Johnny Manziel ain't walking through that door. So for an SEC schedule, you can't ask for much lighter than what they got this year. Fair point. Outside of last year, that's the one big similarity between the two seasons is like favorable schedule, mm-hmm. right? They could definitely go in and lose two, three games pretty easy. I could. We just talked about them. Ole Miss, I think, is tough. LSU is tough. I think Arkansas is going to be tough. Um, and so there are games there that are absolutely that they could absolutely lose. But the schedule is there for them to do it. And if they can't do it with this schedule, you know, then it's just another year. You know, the Aggies being the Aggies. I would absolutely love an OU Texas A&M semifinal. If if OU can run the table and go undefeated, and A&M can figure out a way to sneak into that four spot, give, give me that in Arlington. I mean, come on. Yeah, that'd be fun. Adam, anything you want to add? To that? I just don't even want to give A&M the opportunity to get to that game and have an opportunity. To I can't. Beat us. Stand yeah, so I'd much rather them just go seven and five. Well, guys, it, uh, I've talked about the Aggies that long. It does sound like we all need a beer. So we are going into our final segment of beers and bets. We did this a little bit last year. I'm going to go ahead and crack one open myself. There you go. No sound effect Love needed. Uh, you know, how we, serious we want to take these first five games of the season, who really knows? Um, but there are five games. There are betting lines. There are over-unders. And we are ready to go. So uh, let's walk through the five games this week we're going to be taking a look at. Guys, I'm pretty knowledgeable on maybe like one and a half of these teams, mm-hmm. uh, to be frank. So don't take our word for it. Honestly, if you're a better, bet the opposite. That's probably going to do you pretty well. Um, so let's go through game by game here. Uh, Nebraska at Illinois, uh, two teams that are notably just bad. Nebraska is a seven-point favorite. And the over/under is 55. Adam, we'll start with you. 
where are you placing your money here? This is a, this is a tough one. Um, <laughs> Nebraska has so many off the field distractions right now. So I think I'm going to take Illinois to cover the seven. I still like Nebraska to win this one. Um, Illinois is just installing a lot of new stuff with Brett Belima back in town. Oh, I guess uh, new to Illinois, but back in Big Ten country. Um, on the over-under, uh, you know, it's always popular to go the under sometimes on a Big Ten game. Um, and I guess I'll go I guess I'll go that direction with this one. It's 55. It's the first game of the year. It's week zero. So the offenses are not going to be at full speed at this point. So um, I'll take the under. A little risky, but I'll go with it. Yeah, Adam, I'm kind of in agreement with you. I mean, Illinois smacked Nebraska last year, 41 to 23 in Lincoln. I don't see that happening again. You're breaking in a new offensive system. Brett Bielema, this is going to be his first season uh, at Illinois. So while I know that Scott Frost is dealing with a lot of stuff both on and off the field, I still like Nebraska to to win in a nail biter in this, but I don't trust him to win by more than a touchdown. So I'm going to pick Illinois to cover the seven. So I'm going to lay the points. Um, so give me Illinois plus seven in this. Yeah, I'm staying away from, from the minus seven there. I really don't like that at all, to be frank. Um, but I don't trust really either of these teams to score. And if you guys are both confident that Illinois is going to cover, to me that screams low-scoring game. So I'm going to take the under here on the 55. I know unders are for wimps, and that's fine. I will start the year off like that. It's too short. Uh, that's right. Too, life's too short to bet the under. But um, – Guys, I just I just don't trust either one of these offenses to score that many points early in the season. So I'm going to take the under there and stay away from the line. But uh, let's move on. UConn at Fresno State. Uh, Fresno State, big favorite here, minus 27 and a half, over under at 62.5. Tyler, start with you on this one. Where are you placing uh, your favoritism here? I don't know a single thing about UConn other than they're one of the worst programs um, in terms of football, and they opted out of last year, so this I don't really know what to expect from them. But Fresno State's quarterback and all six of his top receivers from last year, they do return. Um, so I think this is going to be a high-scoring affair. 27.5 is a lot of points, especially in week one, where you don't have any film or tape on, on your opponent. So I'm going to take the over on this one, and uh, obviously I expect Fresno State to win and win handily, but – um, let me uh, so let me see UConn score maybe two three touchdowns and count on Fresno State to get forty. So I'll take the over. I'm going over as well. Uh, you know UConn had the entire year last year to prepare for Fresno State. So uh, <laughs> I, I guess am I am I picking both or I'm just picking one of these? Just w- whichever one oh, you okay, feel most okay. comfortable. Uh, with. Yeah, just give me the over on this one then. Uh, I don't like that twenty seven and a half. But if I were to go, maybe I'd, I'd take UConn to cover because that's just such a big spread. It's such a big spread, which is exactly the reason why I'm taking it. I think this is one of the reverse psychology things Vegas does. Like 28-point win in the season opener, that sounds like a lot. I think a lot of people are going to be leaning towards Fresno, which is, or leaning towards UConn, which is exactly why I'm taking Fresno. Um, I think Vegas wants the money to come in on UConn, and they know UConn hasn't played football in a long time, and when they have, it is not pretty. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to take uh, Fresno State with the points there uh moving on to game three hawaii at ucla guys is this a given the most excited um about a game you are this upcoming weekend this is my favorite one i'm excited to watch 
Yeah, I mean, simply for the, for the Chip Kelly factor, I mean, I'm excited to watch Nebraska just because they're coming to Norman here in, in three or four more weeks. But in this one, it, this is this one's kind of tricky for me. I mean, 17 is a lot of points. Hawaii can score. They can throw the football down the field. So, And I think especially given the fact that LSU is coming to the Rose Bowl here in a couple weeks, I think, I think Chip Kelly is going to do, of course, win the football game, but I think he's going to be as vanilla as he can be and kind of holding out for, uh, you know, LSU's team here in a couple weeks. So I'm picking UCLA to win this game, but in terms of if I'm putting money on it, give me Hawaii plus 17 in this one. This one's a tough one. Uh, Hawaii only averaged 26.2 points per game last year. Um, They do have Todd Graham and his fancy microphone roaming the sidelines at this point. Um, So I don't know if I, I don't know if I feel comfortable with either of these numbers, but um I guess I'll, I'll lean on Dorian Thompson-Robinson hitting the over on the 68. Yeah, I'm going to go over on the 68 as well. I don't think there's going to be any defense played in this game. Uh, and I disagree with you on Chip Kelly coming out vanilla, Tyler. I think his seat's too hot to come out vanilla. Um, I think you got to come out. you got to put your best foot forward every single week and hope for the best. Um, because I don't know a ton about Hawaii, but they can beat UCLA. Um, in my opinion, is that going to happen? I don't think so. Um, but I think, I think the Bruins come out firing, um, and they score a lot of points and I'm going to take the over 68 there. UTEP minus nine. Go ahead, Tyler. No, I was just going to say, if UCLA's quarterback is the best player in the PAC 12, like Adam says he is, they should be able to beat Hawaii playing just vanilla. He's, offense, he's second so. best after Buki. <laughs> <laughs> Next. All right. Moving on, uh, UTEP minus nine at New Mexico State, over under 54 and a half. Guys, I have no freaking clue about either of these teams. Uh, so what is your best guess with little information? So here's uh, – I did a little research on this. Here's some interesting uh, – This is why we sleep during this segment because Adam knows dumb so facts. I do. I, I'm too much of a college football junkie. But New Mexico State – basically opted out of 2020 as well. They played two games in the spring, went one and one against FCS competition. They actually played both of those games at the Sun Bowl at UTEP. They're not that far away uh, in Las Cruces. So this is a rivalry game. But, um, you know, normally we think of UTEP and New Mexico State as like two of the absolute worst FBS programs out there. They're in recruiting dead zones. Uh, But Dana Dimmel has done some nice things. He's improved UTEP a lot, getting them the three wins last year and being competitive even in the losses. That's a huge step for UTEP. The nine nine points there makes me a little nervous, so I'm going to go with the over. Well, I I just don't know. This may ruin my, my overall record on the year. Give me UTEP minus the nine, I guess. Yeah, I'm going UTEP minus nine as well in the Battle of I-10. That's about as much as I know about this game, other than the fact that uh, much like UConn, New Mexico State also opted out of 2020. Um, So give me UTEP uh, at, at, God, minus nine. I don't know. I know nothing about these two teams. So nine's kind of a tricky number, but I'm going to take UTEP in this one. It seems like a lot of points for teams I don't know anything about. Um, So I'm just banking on them being like equally bad. So I'm actually going to take New Mexico with the points. Don't ask me why. That's my logic, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, And I'm thankful we don't have to deal with games like this next week. Um, Okay, final game of the night. It's not Pac-12 after dark, but it's a little teaser to it. Uh, Some West Coast games. Southern Utah at San Jose State. 
San Jose State favored by 21 and a half. Over under there is 55 and a half. Mm. Uh, I know a little bit more about San Jose State than these two teams, but not by much. So, um, Tyler, which one are you taking here? I'm going San Jose State in this one. Nick Starkle is the quarterback. He's back for what seems like his eighth year of college football. So um, he's back. All five of his offensive linemen are back. Now, given he is going to have to find some new weapons to throw the football to, they lost two of their best receivers last year, but they do have a lot of talent and a lot of veterans coming back on the defensive side of the football. So um, I know nothing about Southern Utah, but I trust Nick Starkle and them to put up some points. So I'm going to go with San Jose State to cover the 21 and a half in this game. Yeah, another thing that we haven't thought about a whole lot is these FCS programs played games in the spring. So it'll be interesting to see if that means anything. Um, not that they're expected to win very many of these matchups, but uh, Southern Utah went one and five this spring, only only beating uh, Cal Poly. So uh, yeah, I think San Jose State's going to cover that 21 and a half like Nick Starkle in his uh, 10th year in college football. <laughs> yeah, I remember that Cal Poly game. <laughs> real well um so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna follow suit with you guys uh i'm just gonna take the brand i know a little bit better here uh san jose state um minus 21 and a half that's my rhyme or reason to it and that guys very confusing uh beers and bets we don't know what's gonna happen this weekend i think even with the two big games but that's what we got we're sticking to it and uh, excited for some better games to uh, choose next week. It just goes to show how bare the slate is when Nebraska, Illinois, and uh, Hawaii, UCLA are your two biggest games of the weekend. But I don't care. College football's yep. back, and I'm going to sit down and watch as much of it as possible. But, guys, that's going to do it for us on this episode. If you've made it this far in the podcast, follow us on Twitter at the Pod one and also head on over to Apple or Spotify, wherever you view your plat- uh, view your podcast streaming. Like and subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star review. And, guys, next week, it's it's here. OU football is back. It's going to be a special run. Have a chance to win an eighth national championship. Um, we'll have a pretty good in-depth breakdown of Tulane, what to expect if you're an Oklahoma fan. Have a pretty cool guest lined up. Um, if, if you're heading down to Tulane next, next week, heading down to New Orleans, you're going to want to check out this guest uh, and see what he has to say. But, again, appreciate you guys for listening. College football season is here. Um, Corbin, Adam, thanks guys and we will be back next week for an all new episode of the Mainline Podcast.